For South Carolina, we have to stop doing things sort of the old way or, or the ways that we maybe feel like we've always just done it and figure out ways and, and, and be creative and think outside the box on how we can do some things different. Hello, everyone. Director of Communications, Justin Hall here with you. And what a great guest we have lined up for you today. And I know we at the Palmetto Family Matters podcast are extremely excited to talk with him today about a major dilemma in our state. But first, we want to thank each of you for continuing to listen and support our work on this podcast with well over 1,000 listens since our launch in mid-August. So thank you all so much for your faithful support and encouragement as we continue to have these conversations necessary to shape the Palmetto State from a biblical worldview. We encourage you, as always, to submit that five-star review. It's well worth it. Subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family as we continue to expand the influence of the gospel in the Palmetto State's marketplace of ideas. I am joined, as always, by President Dave Wilson and our Director of Outreach, Mitch Prosser. Justin, I am so grateful for the opportunity that we have to share the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. In fact, we believe at Palmetto Family that the gospel changes everything. That's why coming this fall, starting on October the 12th through December the 2nd, we're going to be in nine cities and churches across the state of South Carolina speaking to the fact that the gospel changes everything. Not only does it interface, but it influences everything every issue that we face here in the Palmetto State. So for those listening, we need every Bible-believing South Carolinian to be present for this tour because what is at stake is the fact that lives are hanging in the balance in every issue that we face. So you can text GOSPEL to 76076. That's G-O-S-P-E-L to 76076 to learn more and register for the Gospel Changes Everything Tour coming to a city and church near you this fall. That's a real important way for folks to be able to get involved in what's going on, to understand how in the world we can engage in the issues that are happening across our state. That brings us to today's guest, and I'm grateful to have the Executive Director of the South Carolina Department of Social Services, Michael Leach, with us. You know, Director Leach, you have been uh, coming in as a change agent in South Carolina um, to, to really address the issues that DSS is having to deal with. So tell us a little bit about how did you end up yeah, in our, in our lovely state and how did you, what, what did you bring as part of your story yeah. into what you're doing now with DSS? Well, thank you guys first for having me. Oh, it's great I, to have you here. A, this is an honor uh, to be here with you all and uh, I'm excited to to talk about our work uh, uh, with um, uh, at DSS and uh, in the foster care world, um, more specific. So, uh, you know, uh, I started in this work. I I, I grew up in Reno, Nevada, uh, went to college in California, and and ended up in Tennessee at uh, Trevecca Nazarene University uh, in a marriage and family therapy program. And my goal was to provide therapy to children and families. Uh, that, that's what I wanted to do. And I did that at, at Vanderbilt uh, University Medical Center in the outpatient psychiatric clinic. I was able to, uh, for many years, um, you know, connect with families and children and help them address the needs that they may have and build the strengths that they have. And, and it was the uh, best job I, I've ever had, right? Every day getting to work with children of all ages and their families. Um, I was asked at one point, um, uh, you know, uh, with some some colleagues, hey, would you would you want to help out with the the, the Department of Children's Services uh, assessment processes they were implementing in Tennessee? And um, 
I said, sure, let's, let me look into that. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm in this new world of child welfare and really loving the, the macro and micro systems part of it and trying to figure out how we can make this better for children and, and families. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm uh, asked to be part of the system, right? The, the, the child welfare system in Tennessee. And then next thing you know, it's, uh, you know, Mike, could you help with independent living and help the older youth, you know, the 14 plus and, and the young adults who are aging out of the system? Uh, next thing you know, Mike, could you help with, um, you know, continuous quality improvement? And so all of these different areas of, of work that I did within uh, in Tennessee and the Department of Children's Services and, and watching all the leaders that came before me in these roles who really were transformational in the system to the point where they exited their settlement agreement um, because of the, the leaders that were there and the, and the uh, uh, just amazing people I worked alongside. Um, I ended up being the deputy commissioner uh, for a while and, and then um, uh, South Carolina was looking for a, um, a director and uh, I received some, some calls just knowing some of the work that has gone on in Tennessee. And uh, from there, uh, it was, a, you know, some interviews and uh, met with uh, Governor McMaster and, and his team and an advisory council made up of a lot of different folks who uh, really asked me a lot of questions about, you know, my values, beliefs, where I want to take this system, uh, you know, and, 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 and where we need to go uh, to improve it. Because uh, coming into this, we have a lot of, uh, gaps. We are currently in a, a, a settlement agreement, a lawsuit based on uh, deficiencies that are in the system that affect children. Um, and my experience in that and, and working with others, you know, they said that, you know, Mike, you'd be the best person for this job. So this is a place where you took a passion that you had hmm. for working with families and children. Mm-hmm. And you've watched this kind of mushroom out to really addressing issues at a policy level, Correct. at a political level, at a statewide level, not just what happens in a singular family, but what's happening to the family of South Carolina and the impact that decisions that have to be made when it comes to children, mm-hmm. children's services, is a really, you're, you're doing a new level of application on that now. Mm-hmm. I, I've been doing that level ap- application for a long time, um, but it is it is new in that for South Carolina, we have to stop doing things sort of the old way or mm. or the ways that <laughs> we maybe feel like we've always just done it, and figure out ways and 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 be creative and think outside the box on how we can do some things different. Um, you know, I still. I still, everything I do and the decisions I make still go back to thinking about the individual children and family that I worked with. Right. Or, you know, my mom was a, a forensic child sexual abuse investigator, right? So she would actually do forensic exams. And that was up till I left for college. She was doing that work. That's all I remember her doing. And the, 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 the hard work in making sure that she protected children every single day and fought for children um, and, and, and put some of the, the folks who did the bad things, you know, make sure that in court, you know, the evidence was there so that, you know, um, they, they did the time that, that they, uh, you know, deserve for their actions. I mean, 
that's where I get it from. She was fighting mm. for these children all the yeah. time. And, and, you know, I think that's what led to, you know, the idea of just sociology of the family and understanding family dynamics and, and leading to therapy and now leading to systems changes to help children and families mm. in, in the large context, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So wow. you mentioned doing things a new way. Um, and on that same vein, the governor asked us to put together a task force to address foster care and adoption. But And so we've talked about that on this podcast. But in your words... Mm-hmm. How would you define foster care for those who might be listening for the first time and haven't heard that before? What definition would you give? Yeah, them for so that? I, I I will um, I, I will kind of stick to a, a few points here that I think is really important. Then I'll kind of branch out. But you know, foster care is is a temporary care of children whose families are having problems, and, and the children cannot safely remain in the home. So um, children come into legal custody of, of DSS, and um, and and it's potentially because of abuse or neglect. And uh, 80% of, of the children who enter foster care or we're involved in are due to neglect. The other 20% are some sort of abuse, right? Physical abuse, sexual abuse, things like that. Um, when a child comes into care, our immediate job is to assess and, and understand um, the needs of the child and the family and determine the most appropriate placement for them. Um, which could be with kin, so relative caregivers uh, or fictive kin, um, could be you know coaches or uh, teachers or somebody like that. Um, we also look at our uh, foster parent pool and try to find the appropriate match. Um, if there is more needs that that um, uh, more behavioral emotional needs or increased risk, we're looking at group home, congregate care type settings for that child, but. You know, really, you know, uh, you know, the goal for us is to place children with family whenever possible. Um, but, but when that's not an option, we have to rely on the backbone of the child well-being system, which is our foster parents mm-hmm. um, and kinship caregivers who we license as, as foster parents as well. Um, you know, children are coming into the system every day, mm. every day of the year, there are children entering the foster care system due to abuse and neglect. Uh, they come through, you know, law enforcement, they come through mm-hmm. us as DSS, they come through the courts. Um, and our job is to make sure they're safe, they're loved, we meet their needs, medical, dental, mm-hmm. um, uh, if you're an older teen, you know, social skills, life skills, things like that. Um, and then figure out how, you know, with all of the supports that we wrap around them, what is next? What does permanency look like? So is that reunification with families? Is that uh, going to their to their kin and, and staying with them? Or over time, if we work with the families and, and they're not able to, you know, meet all the all the things that we say, hey, to, to make sure that we we are certain a child is safe and, and going to, you know, um, and they're meeting well-being needs, you know, if that can't happen, then we, we work towards adoption. Um, for for our children in foster care. And um, that's where we need foster parents, right? We need Mm. a pool of foster parents. And and fostering is hard. You have to deal with the bureaucracy. You have to deal with us, right? And all of our paperwork and and, um, potentially information that changes from day to day. Um, But you also have to deal with the, the children, and, and the families and the trauma that's, that, that comes with all of that. And, um, and you have to realize that, you know, what you're doing is in 
their best interest and loving on them and supporting them and giving to them um, what you can for the time that you do have them um, is really important. Um, but that that's that's foster care. We have we have about four thousand and eleven children in foster care today. That's zero to eighteen. We do have a couple hundred who are eighteen plus and are in aftercare. Um, but you know we're focused on on making sure that when children enter, we do those things, and then children are exiting every day as well through adoption or reunification or anything like that. Uh, but that's um, you know that that's that's foster care. Wow. Director Leach, thanks for being here today. As we talk about all these issues, there's a 800-pound elephant in the room, and obviously the last year has brought about a lot of changes. The last year plus has created a strain on so many, and it's put a magnifying glass on many other issues. How has the pandemic impacted abuse and neglect for children in South Carolina? So, I mean, I think... think um, it impacted the department in that we saw a reduction in uh, our, our reports of child abuse mm. and neglect, um, close to 55% reduction. Um, that doesn't mean abuse or neglect stopped. Right. Right? Sometimes when you say, well, there was a decrease in calls, that means things are getting better. No, no, that's not what that means. Mm. That means that that the folks who... Uh, usually call or call at a higher frequency teachers. Mm-hmm. Folks in the educational system were not in school at that time. Yeah. I mean, as we recall, I mean, the pandemic led to school closures for everybody. And, and a normal time in, 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 in 2020 when March, April, May are usually our highest call volumes. I mean, there's trends for all these things, foster care, uh, abuse and neglect reporting. There's, there's, there's annual, there's trends throughout seasonal trends. Um, we saw our biggest decrease ever. Hmm. And that was again, due to, um, you know, teachers, guidance counselors, professionals, mandated reporters, not having eyes on students every day. That's one of those social concerns that we, we end up looking at and not necessarily realizing that, Sometimes you've got a group of people who are seeing things. You've got, as you just called, the mandatory reporters. Mm-hmm. If they see something, it's their responsibility to then report mm-hmm. that. And in that, you've got a group of people across the state who are keeping an eye on what's happening. And yet, sometimes we've seen some things coming out of this past year, the pandemic, mm-hmm. of, of an increase in things like suicides, mm-hmm. uh, an increase of other issues that have taken place. Right. So how do you work that part of it to be able to meet those needs too? Yeah, it's, 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 it's been a struggle. I mean, and, and we're not just talking educational professionals, but we also saw a decrease in children going to the pediatrician, right? And pediatricians are, are um, uh, they report child abuse and neglect at, at higher rates as well. Um, you know, this pandemic has led to what increased unemployment, um, mm. food insecurities, um, stressors that lead to abuse and neglect. So abuse and neglect comes from stressful situations, yeah. right? The problem isn't the problem. Correct. Right. right. And so when you have increased amounts of, of stress, again, unemployment, uh, homelessness, yeah. uh, so risk of eviction and food insecurity, where am I going to find my next meal? Those kinds of things. 
um, you know, that leads to uh, folks who, who love their children, maybe doing something that, that is abuseful or neglectful. And, and it may be on the neglect side, maybe it's just trying to survive. Maybe I need three jobs and I'm having a hard time finding appropriate care for my child. And, um, and you know, they make questionable decisions sometimes. Um, and, and so that's where, you know, we as a system had to make sure that um, there was ongoing outreach. People knew of our, you know, um, our hotline number. Um, we, we introduced other ways to report online uh, and, um, you know, continue to do some other work like, you know, volunteer to, to help locate children who the school system couldn't locate or didn't right. have eyes on at that time, right? So that we could go knock on doors and say, hey, we're here to help if you need help. So you're not the only, the only folks who want to be out there and doing something. There are a lot of folks across the state who are looking for those opportunities to be able to support what goes on in foster care, support what goes on in adoption. So what are some of the greatest needs that, that are out there when it comes to foster care in South Carolina? And how can folks who are listening and, and folks who are involved in the work that goes on here with Palmetto Family make a difference in the lives of, of everybody that's involved in this process. Yeah, so, you know, let's say you are interested in fostering. We'll start there, right? And then we'll work our way out. You know, it, it is a commitment. It's a time commitment. It's a calling. It's, it's a, you know, it, it's, it's, it's going beyond yourself in saying, I want to mm. do this work. Again, yeah. it is hard and it, it, it's, it's painful at times, um, but it, it's rewarding. You get, to, you get to change a life, whether that's forever or even for a short period of time. And um, we, the need for foster parents continues. It will always continue. When people always ask me, hey, do you need more foster parents? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been asked that for, for years and years, and every, every director probably in every state has been asked that. Yes. Always, right? <laughs> and you, you look at the population. So, you know, 36% of our population in foster care that 4,000 are teenagers, right? And then 36% are zero to six. And then you have that smaller percent in the middle, that seven to 12 range. You know, foster parents may say, or, or they may come in saying, hey, I want an I wanna infant, right? I want to care for an infant. I, I want a, a, a two-year-old, a three-year-old. They may not be that, you know, in that part of the state, um, a child who comes into care at that age. But there might be five teens waiting for a placement, or there might be a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old who's awaiting adoption, right? Who we have, we have children in the system who are awaiting adoption, mm -hmm. probably 150 to 200 right now, who um, don't have an adoptive resource uh, and, and potentially could be in the system for years and age out and have bad outcomes. Yeah. Um, you know, so fostering is always needed, but it's needed for the right population, the right area of the state, um, siblings, right? I have sibling sets of four, six, eight, mm. ten, and I want to keep them together, mm -hmm. right? I want to keep I want to keep siblings together, and that requires obviously somebody who has gonna has a lot of time and uh, patience, and I couldn't handle a large sib group, but <laughs> others could, right? And know how to do that, and. Um, but, but a home where we don't have to split them up um, into, you know, a, a bunch of different homes and, 
and and they're willing to take on that commitment with with these children. It is it is again very hard. I I, I have to be honest with with your listeners going. It's not easy. Now, if you're not ready for that, right? There are so many other ways to to get involved in the system. Um, so, I, I think churches. In, in, in this state, and, and you know, I, I worked with churches in, in Tennessee when I was there a lot. They're, they are, um, our foster parents are our best recruiters. Hmm. Next to that, churches, hmm. right? And they're all, a lot of times, hand in hand, right? Um, and, and, you know, there are folks who, who are ready to foster, who, who may be in your church, and then there's folks who say, I want to wrap around and support, mm-hmm. right? Or what does that look like? Or what can the church do? Right, and so a couple examples. Um, you know, uh, you know. I challenge your your listeners to to see how they can help. Uh, again, recruitment of foster parents, supporting existing foster parents. There, there's some organizations, some some uh, nonprofit organizations that are that are faith based that you know wrap around foster families with food ministries, right, mm-hmm. and and making sure that they have all the the appropriate things. Um, recognizing DSS professionals for the work they do in their community. This work is hard. They're, they, they are treated poorly for the work they do. Um, uh, there's a lot of stigma associated with it. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, if, if people don't get their way, they blame the, 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 the child welfare worker. Um, but, you know, first, first Presbyterian closing closets. There's closing closets all over the state, right here. The South Carolina Baptist Convention Partnership, right? They're, they're working with um, uh, churches across the state as far as recruiting. Um, we have, we have uh, churches who have um, safe rooms or areas for visitation rooms that they have set up. Let's talk about that for a yeah. minute. Because when you are trying to take a, we'll call them the biological family mm-hmm. and the foster family, mm-hmm. one of the aspects of that relationship between them is the fact that the biological family and the foster family need to get together so that the child or, or children can spend that time to talk about that and ways that churches and ministries can get involved in providing a home-like space yeah. mm-hmm. versus, That's I mean, no offense way. to a, a local DSS office, no, you've got a, a great way. Yeah. What are things that can be done with that? Yeah, I don't. You, I don't know if you've been to a DSS office lately in the visitation rooms, but it's not warm and fuzzy and friendly, right? Right. So Institutional. Have, right. We yeah. have we have toys, and there's some you know that we have some churches who actually have come out and you know painted mm-hmm. and done those things. It's not the same as maybe a, a, a church setting where, um, yeah, where they. They create a safe space, a warm, friendly space that feels like somebody's living room, that the child feels comfortable in, that uh, a family com- uh, feels comfortable in, um, and and make sure that the children we you know we we want to make sure our children have visits with family, as as families continue their permanency plan, which is addressing maybe the, the needs that they may have, you know we have to continue to. to create that connection and that bond and, and that love with them. And, and it's no better than doing it in a safe place like that, 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 um, isn't institutional. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, and there are churches across the state that, that are doing that now, you know, foster parents being engaged in that process is, is a, a huge indicator for success for 
that caregiver, that biological family, and that child in their reunification. If, if a, a, a foster parent believes in that caregiver, mentors that, that, that parent, um, uh, provides them hope, they are more likely to see that success occur. Um, and, and so you see children who are not staying in foster care for long periods of time when, when that happens. I, I think the church can, can wrap around both the foster parent and the biological parent and help them with, um, you know, uh, I mean, the gospel and the word of God as well, right? It, it helping them get engaged. I think that, that gives a lot of hope to, to anybody who, who is struggling. And, and listen, we are all struggling with a lot of things right now. We mentioned it earlier with the pandemic, what that's created for folks. Um, but those, those are opportunities um, that, 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 that church ministries can, can really think about. So let me ask you this question. Let's go back to that core for where you started. Somebody's listening right now. Mm-hmm. Somebody's involved, wants to become involved, feels that call to, to be a foster parent. What steps do they need to take to be able to do that? So we, we have recently changed some of those processes. Um, DSS was licensing all Foster, most foster homes. There, were, there are therapeutic foster homes for children who might have some additional medical needs or uh, uh, therapeutic behavioral emotional needs, those kinds of things. Um, but we have switched to our child placing agencies are doing pretty much most of the licensing for DSS. Uh, so um, uh, Epworth, for example, right, is a, uh, a, a, a setting that has group home type stuff, but they also have a pool of foster parents and they license those foster parents. Um, it, can, it can be a six month or more process to go through the home study, the background checks. You know, we have to make sure that everybody's properly vetted. Um, and, and then, you know, it could, it could be another little bit of time till we find a, a good match for you based on what you say is your, you know, you may have age requirements of zero to two. Right, so you say, you know, my family can, we we are we are wanting uh, uh, an infant at this time, um, and that's all you know we're ready to do. And and um, but that may take a little bit longer than a teen who might be in care waiting already. Right. So for folks who are listening, we're going to add on our resources page for the podcast a link for you to be able to connect with child placement agencies mm-hmm. across the state, so you can find one that matches your needs. Yeah. And that you can then connect with so that you can start providing that level of being the hands and feet of Jesus, as we often say around here, in this particular setting. So do check out the resources yeah. page on yeah, that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll connect a heartfelt calling. So that, that is your first phone number you would be calling, right? And then they would connect you with just based on, on sort of, you know, your interests and, and, you know, part of the state you're in. You know, they would connect you with three or four agencies you can look into. And, and determine if that agency is the best fit for you. Um, you know, some uh, may be more faith-based than others. Um, and, and it's up to, again, it's great to have options, yeah. right? It's great to, to, to and, 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 but they all provide the wraparound support. They all provide a, a consistent home study process sure. for you. And, so, um, and yeah. so you can find that child placement agency that is right for you and your family. Right. Exactly. That meets your needs mm-hmm. to be able to meet the needs of others. And I think that's a great, that's a great change. And that's something that, that you've been pushing forward 
on in, at DSS to make those types of changes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we, you know, we all have different beliefs and values, and and I think there is an agency, a CPA agency, child placing agency that that can, um, you know, can you can match with, right? Yeah. And 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 feel. Um, uh, you know, feel like, uh, you know, if you want to get into this work, you know, you, you can, you can find an agency that, that'll work with you, uh, dependent on anything, uh, that, that, uh, of, of, you know, what you, what you are focused on. Right. So if there's one thing that you could tell our listeners, um, and the public at large, I suppose, what is one thing you wish they knew about those who are working at DSS? So uh, just a couple things. I mean, DSS professionals are, are just that. They're professionals. They, they are givers. Um, they spend a lot of time away from their friends and family um, uh, because they are working long hours. This is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week gig, right? Um, at, you might have a crisis call at midnight that you have to address, mm-hmm. or you might have to make a placement at 2 a.m., um, there are folks working all the time. Um, you know, they want to help their their fellow man and improve. Um, you know, their communities. They they are locals in in the communities across the state, and they they you know they care about the the the, the folks around them. Um, we have about forty three hundred people across the state who are committed and give themselves uh, way more than just the normal work week. Um, and and they deserve you know support and. And our respect, respect, because many times they are the first responders. They go out, they address the family strengths, and 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 I think you know the other thing that you know I think that you know we have to shift in culture with community is, you know, just the idea of um, you know we're here to take children, right? Mm-hmm. We're here to what we are here to do is get in the local communities and strengthen families and provide preventative services and help families be stronger. Our communities will be stronger um, uh, and, and, you know, connect them to the resources, uh, whether that's medical or, um, you know, faith-based or um, uh, behavioral, emotional, whatever it may be. Um, we, that, that's got to be our, our focus is healing and helping communities. I want to key in on a phrase, and, and as Mike Leach, with, as director of DSS, you have done a, a phenomenal job of, of making real change, but you actually just said something that I never, uh, honestly, have never put together. DSS is a first responder mm-hmm. organization to a time of crisis. We call police first responders, mm-hmm. firefighters first responders. Mm-hmm. We call those who are in, in EMS first responders. But DSS is a first responder situation in, in a time of crisis quite often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can't say no. We, <laughs> and we cannot not help, right? We have to be there to, and, and we work alongside law enforcement all the time. And thank goodness for them. Um, and the work they do and, and the support they provide us, not just our child welfare folks, but our adult protective services folks every day. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we are working at, at the family's sort of most vulnerable yeah. spot, Yeah, right? They wouldn't be involved with us or getting, if, if, if they weren't having that that current struggle and and we have to and it's and it's hard and we have to make sure that um 
you know, that we are compassionate, caring, and work with them on, on what's going to be best for their family. So in that same vein, guys, I think the thing that we have to think about here is the compassionate, caring work that we do with our other first responders mm-hmm. is a place where, as we call it, the big C church, the church needs to step in and do that same type of care for those caseworkers of DSS who are the first responders in times of crisis across the state. And there are ways that you can get involved, ways that you can help with that. But, you know, they need the love and care that our firefighters and our police officers and our EMS Mm -hmm. need because in those moments of crisis, that is a tough position to be in. There's a a lot of secondary trauma. You're absolutely right, Dave. In fact, I love it when God answers this question for us. And Justin and I were talking about yesterday, Isaiah chapter 1 Listen to what verse 16 and 17 say. It says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Listen to what he says next. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widows. If God hasn't answered this for us in his word over and over and over again, we're missing it. So, If nothing else, listen to the plea of Director Leach, but God is telling us it is time for the church to move into the community and answer the cries of the innocent. Thank you, Director Leach, for joining us today. Thank you very much. We we appreciate it, and we look forward to uh, having you join us again soon and, and seeing you in the coming weeks. As you join us each week, I encourage you to continue listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and family because we want to continue to impact the Palmetto State with the gospel as we shape South Carolina from a biblical worldview. Secondly, as Mitch mentioned off the top of the show, text the word gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, to 76076 to reserve your spot for the Gospel Changes Everything tour that's coming to a city or town near you. As Mitch said, this tour is vital for any church member or leader uh, in our state to share the hope of the gospel and how it can change the issues we face every single day. It's really important for people to be involved in what's going on and understanding how we engage with the public policy issues that we're facing as the state of South Carolina. As we say quite often here, Palmetto Family is the cultural guardrails of South Carolina, and each person has a responsibility to be a reflector on that guardrail to show the light and love of Jesus in the situations that you're involved in. And every community, Director Leach, as you talked about a moment ago, every community in this state is different. And the needs of every community is different. But if you're listening to this, you know what's happening in your hometown. And there are places and ways that you can get involved. And we encourage you to be able to do so. Again, thank you so much for joining us. If you've missed any of our previous podcasts, you can go listen to them on Apple, Spotify, and of course our website, where we'll have that resources page, as Dave mentioned earlier, www.palmettofamily.org. For our president, Dave Wilson, and for our director of outreach, Mitch Prosser, I'm Justin Hall. We'll talk to you again next week on the Palmetto Family Matters podcast.